brings possession. Just like saying confession brings possession. Uh, it was deliberate and purposeful that I have to do this this morning. Okay, now I, I'm going to be sharing on God's grace is available. That is just what I'm talking about this morning. God's grace is what? It's available. God's grace is available. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay, so back again to Titus chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading from verse number 9. The Bible says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not polaring, but showing all good fidelity, that they may be adored the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation and appear to all men. How many men? That means everybody can possess the grace of God. Now we're going to find out what the grace is. Hallelujah. But let's also read it from the message translation. The message translation. Verse 9 again. Titus 2. Guide slaves into being loyal workers. A bonus to their masters. No back talk. No petty thievery. Then their good character will shine through their actions. Adding lost out to the teaching of our Savior God. God readiness to give and forgive is now available. Can I hear an amen to that? Salvation is available for everyone, not some. Amen? God's readiness to give and forgive is now public or available. Salvation is available for everyone. Now the word grace is the word charis in the Greek. What means that which is gracious? It means the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. That includes gratitude, that includes joy, that includes pleasure. But I want you to see the fact is grace is the divine influence. Upon the heart. And its reflection in the life. By implication, whatever God gives to you, finally is manifested in your life for all to see. Amen? If God does a cleansing work, for instance, in your spirit, and your conscience is no longer defiled, it is made known to people as you stay and live amongst men. Now don't forget, we are saying 
God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. The grace of God with which He saves you when it's revealed to you in your spirit is finally made manifest. Hallelujah. Now, the next word you see there is the word salvation. When you say the salvation of God is made available like we said, like we read in the book of, uh, of the King James. The word is centurion. Centurion actually means salvation. It means defense. But it's taken from the root word soteria. Soteria means to rescue or safety physically or morally. It means to deliver. It means health. It means salvation. It means saving. Now the grace of God that is made available includes your deliverance, includes your salvation, includes your protection, and includes your provision. When God says His readiness to forgive and to give is available, you have to understand. He forgave your sins and He gives you what you need to live your life. He doesn't just forgive. He forgives to give. I want you to understand this. So good enough. You had issues before you met the Lord. God says he forgave you your sins. But it's not ending there. He also wants to give to you what you need to live your life. Meaning if one of the very definitions of salvation is deliverance and is health. It simply means God forgave you your past sins that He may give you health. Hallelujah. Now that again will make me remind you this money. That don't permit anybody to tell you that you are sick because of your past sins. Did you understand what I said there? Because when He forgives you, He's not counting on those things anymore. Therefore, you can't be sick because of your past sins. You can't be sick because of what your father did. I keep on emphasizing this until your mind is liberated from your past. When he forgives, the next thing he does is to do what? Is to give. So, if he forgives you your sins, and there is something you like in your life which has to be withheld, what God intends to do now is to do what? Is to give you health. He forgives so that he may do what? He may give. And the world salvation is not just, well, I'm saved so that I go to heaven. No. Salvation means health. It means provision. It means protection. It means deliverance. Deliverance from your past, from everything that you have been entangled with. God wants to set you free from them all. Hallelujah. And when he sets you free from those things, he gives you the things you need to live your life now, not tomorrow. Hallelujah. Are you done with me? I'm going to make you see how you can receive this. Because to me, it's, it's very important you understand what I'm sharing with you this morning. You are not saved to be bound anymore in life. Hallelujah. You are not saved to be subjected to the influence of anything that is not of God. 
you are saved, meaning you are delivered. And once you are delivered, you are delivered. There's no two ways about that. God doesn't deliver people twice. He has all the power to deliver you once. And once he sets you free, he begins to make provision for your freedom. That you may live out the life that he has packaged for you. Meaning, when God has mind to save you, he has a package for your own enjoyment. He wants you to live well. Listen to me, God doesn't want you to be a poor man. Doesn't want, doesn't want you to be a sick person. He doesn't want you to be ignorant. The Bible tells us that Christ is the wisdom of God. Amen. And he's given us his wisdom to be able to live the life that we are supposed to live. Hallelujah. He doesn't save you so that witches and wizards will be oppressing you in your dreams. God doesn't save you in that context. You have to understand that he has more than enough legion of angels to watch over you even while you are sleeping. Am I talking to somebody? I can't remember when somebody oppressed me in my dream. I can't remember. Ever since I gave my life to God, I can't remember that. Not at all. Because I have my conviction that every one of us walking upon the face of the earth has an angel assigned to us. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said, the little ones, don't stop them from coming to me because their angels are always there before them. Did the Bible say so? Meaning, every individual in creation has an angel attached to the person. And that is why you must be able to know it. You must grow to the place where your connection is directly spiritual and that your protection and that, listen, the Bible says, Angels are meant to be sent on an errand by you. Have you read that in the book of Hebrews? Bible said there are ministering spirits sent for to be of assistance to those that be heirs of salvation. So every individual has an angel. Praise the living God, somebody. Are you following what I'm talking about? Now, have you had those who are not Christians? Maybe they wanted to make a journey. All of a sudden they stop, and when you ask them, they said. My spirit that is following me told me not to go on the journey. Have you had things like that? Fine. It's just like you have angelic spirits in the spirit dimension, which are good spirits. You also have demonic spirits that follow people who walk in that dimension. If you are in God's kingdom, you must be able to relate to the angel that God has sent alongside your life. It protects you. Sometimes when God begins to speak to you, have you read the book of Job 33 verse number 14 down? The Bible tells us, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep followed upon the sons of men. What did God do? He began to communicate. Listen to me. God understands the way to communicate to your spirit. Those things you call dreams, is not necessarily dreams for the natural. Most often God speaks to your spirit. Why does he have to speak to your spirit in a dream? Because you are too busy in the afternoon to hear him when he's talking to you. Now, when you begin to communicate to your spirit, you think you are dreaming. But the truth is, he's speaking to your spirit. Your subconscious mind is silent. Now, your spirit begins to see it as if you are playing a video. He plays a kind of picture of what he wants to communicate to your life. And you see that like you are watching a screen. And when you wake up in the morning, you think you had a dream. It was God that was talking to you. All you need to do is to interpret the dream by decoding the elements in that dream. And then you know exactly what God is saying. There is never anyone born of the spirit that God doesn't talk to. No one. It's just that you don't understand how God talks to people. You don't understand how to interpret and to understand what God is saying to you. But there is no one born of the spirit 
that God doesn't talk to. Are you sitting there with me? Hallelujah. Get down to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 8 from the King James and I'm going to read it from the Living Bible as well. For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Hallelujah. Now, the Living Bible, I like it in a very simple way. It says, because of his kindness, you have been saved through trust in Christ. And even trusting is not of yourself. It too is what? A gift from God. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to understand it simply means something that salvation is not a reward for your good works. Did you get that? The grace that I'm talking about that is available is not your reward for what? For good works. Look at verse 9. From the same living translation. Salvation is not a reward for the good we have done. So none of us can take any credit for it. Now can you imagine God just looking at you in the wall. He picked you to himself. He wants to cleanse you out. And not just that. He wants to load you with the benefit of life. Not because of what you've done. Not because of what you think you can do. You only need to trust. And even this trust is also coming from him. So the very first time you say, I believe in Jesus. It was not by your own strength. It was God that made you to make that confession. Praise the living God. Are you still there with me? I want you to look at that verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good we have done. Now, don't forget the definition of salvation. Soteria. Soteria has to do with healing. It has to do with health. It has to do with deliverance. It has to do with protection. It has to do with provision. God is saying, I am providing for you not because of what you've done. I am healing you not because of what you've done. I am saving you from destruction not because of what you've done. There is hardly anything you have ever done that can please God. That can make you to turn his face towards you. Nothing except the sacrifice of who? Of Jesus Christ. But one thing you need to rejoice in this morning. What I'm saying is this. If God so desire to save me. Then he's going to save me to the uttermost. If he has desire to heal me one bit. He's going to heal all of my diseases. All of my sicknesses. There is no sickness God cannot heal. He will save you halfway. He will deliver you halfway. He wants to save you to the uttermost. Meaning, he who has begun this good work in you shall also finish it. So your heart shall rest in what God is doing. For the grace of God is available. I believe in it. Hallelujah. Are you sitting there with me? Let me show you something. How is this grace coming to us? How do we never come to receive this grace? John chapter 1. John chapter 1. 
love the Lord because he first loves me. I have to obey him because his desire for my life is glorious. He has put up a package for me that I have not even seen yet. The Bible says, I have not yet seen. Hallelujah. The things that the Lord has prepared for those that do what? Love him. I have not yet seen. That means, listen to me, what you are experiencing now is nothing compared to the package that God has for you. Nothing. Praise the living God. John chapter 1. Let's look at verse 40. But you know John 1, verse 1 talked about the word, eh? In the beginning was the word, and the word was the God. Amen? Okay. But let's look at verse number 14, and then we'll just jump to verse number 17. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we have behold his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is full of grace? Jesus, the Son. Full of grace and truth. Hallelujah. Go to verse 17. For the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by who? Jesus Christ. Watch that. The law came by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now the grace of God, the Bible says, Titus tells us, is now available to our men. When the Bible says the law came by Moses, it's talking about what you can do to please God before you can get what God has for you. Listen to me. If you look at the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, he said, I'm going to make you head above all people. You are not going to be the tail. You are going to be the head. I will set you up and on and on. Make all the promise. If you keep my commandment, then will I do this. Then if you go down, he said, if you don't keep my commandment, I'm going to make fever to come upon you. Don't mean fever was part of the law to afflict us because we don't keep the commandment. He said, I'm going to give you inflammation of the legs. To me, that is arthritis. Are you getting that? No, you take your Bible and look at it. Deuteronomy 28. Read from verse 15 down. You're going to see what I'm talking about. Inflammations of the legs. Fever. And all of that. What's inflammation? Where your legs begin to swear? That is arthritis. God said, I'm going to give you arthritis if you don't keep my law. Now it becomes a difficult thing for you to observe. Because anytime you miss one of the law, you miss all of them. That means the people have to be suffering from arthritis. And you see, you find that when the people of God were in the wilderness, the law was not there. None of them had arthritis. They lived under grace. Did you get what I'm talking about? All the issue, if you don't do this, I'm going to give you fever. Started from Exodus 19. I'm going to go to my sign But right from when they started moving down in the wilderness, they ate good food. Manna. Remember that? Good food they ate. In fact, the food they ate was angelic food. Their clothes was quite in order. He was a tailor for them, putting on their clothes. The clothes were not worn out. Their shoes were not worn out. The Bible said none of them was feeble. They were living under grace. But when they came into Exodus 19, down to 18, and said, anything you say we will do, 
God said, fine, if you don't do, I will do this to you. And a sickness that begins to come in. All manner of things begin to come in. You get what I'm talking about? Praise the living God. So you find that they lived under grace. Now that's what I'm telling you. The grace of God is available today. Meaning when they lived under grace, God protected them, God provided for them, God can do the same for you today. That's the power of grace, what I'm talking about. The power of grace to set you free from everything of your past, everything that is hindering you, everything that's oppressing you. There is grace of God available today to make you whole. I want you to think about that in your mind. Even if you look at the whole book of, I mean the book of Judges, you find that the Bible says, when the people sin, God will afflict them. When the people sing, God will afflict them. But you can't see all those records when they were in the wilderness. Did you see any record there? Why? Because there was no law. It was all grace. He was bringing them out. He was cleansing them. He was washing them. He was doing everything, providing for them. God wants to do the same thing today. That's why he said the grace of God is available. And has appeared to all, to all men. The grace has appeared to all men. So, it's not the issue of struggling. My brother, listen to me. Your struggles must cease. Scripture says, come unto me, yet I live on a heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The word rest is the same thing as Sabbath. And when God got to the place of Sabbath, he rested. You have to come to the place of your Sabbath. You have to come to the place of your rest. It doesn't have to be struggle to become rich. You just have to walk in grace. And that grace of God brings favor to your life. He brings joy to your life. He causes prosperity to come your way. You just have to walk under grace. That's what he wants. There is nothing you can do. Trust God for what he said he wants to do. He brought you out of the wall with a package in mind for you. Can I hear the man to that? Let's turn to the book of Psalm 147. What does God hate? What do you, you see, there are some things we do we, we come to conclude that God is not able and he, he, in fact, he can fulfill what he's saying he wants to do. So, let's get on to the book of Psalm 147. Hallelujah. Look at verse, look at verse, verse 9 down to verse 12. Are we there verse 9? Bible says he gave her to the beast his food. That's the best of the air. And to the young gravies which cry. Now can you picture this? God gives to the beast the animals. The animals on the feet. He gave them their food. When the ravens cry, he feeds them. I want you to think about this. How can God be so caring for animals and he will not care... For he who is made in his image. He cares for the ravens. He cares for the beasts of the feet. He gave them their food. Okay. Look at verse 10. He delight not. In the strength of the horse. He taketh no pleasure. In the legs of a man. Now. I want you to. I want you to think a little bit. Praise the Lord. He delights not 
in the strength of the horse. What is a horse? What are horses used for? For war. Not for games. In the true sense, horses are meant for war. He is not interested in your battles. He's not interested in you fighting battles. He's not, listen to me. He wants to take your battles over from you. God hates this when you don't trust in yourself. Hallelujah. Are you there? <laughs> he delight not in the strength of the horse. He taketh no pleasure in the legs of a man. Wow. What, what do you think he's talking about? Now, in the natural, there's another way. You know, have you heard of people talk about long leg? Say that man has long leg. You know the word? It's all part of bribery. God is not interested in your bribing your way through in life. He wants to make the provision. Trust him. Am I talking to someone here? He is not interested in the legs of men. Doesn't mean God hates the way your leg is. Is that what he's talking about? But when you use your leg, <laughs> when you try to use your leg, you try to move to the place he has not asked you to go to. You want to open doors that he has not opened. Are you getting what I'm talking about? You want to make a way for yourself. God hates that. By implication, you can't trust him enough to make provision for you. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the living God. He take out no pleasure in the legs of a man. Now look at the next thing. They lack their pleasure in them that do what? That fear him. Not those who are dreadful about him or something like that. Those who respect him. Those who believe in him. Those who trust in what he has promised. The Lord take pleasure in them that fear him. In those that hope in what? In his mercy. Glory to God. After telling you what he doesn't want, he tells you what he wants. Mercy is synonymous for kindness. It's synonymous to grace. It doesn't take pleasure in your strength. You are labored too much, my brother. That is the point you come to the place of grace. Listen to what God wants. In those that hope in what? In his mercy. He wants to provide for you. He has you in mind, people. He has you in mind. He knows how you are going to end. He has a package for you. I wish somebody can understand me this morning. So that you can rest from all your labors. Rest from all your labors. Man, you have labored enough. And you have combined the strength of men and the legs of men. The strength of the horses and the legs of men. It taketh no delight in the strength of the horse. Praise the living God. Are you sitting there with me? You know, there are some of these prayers you pray that doesn't really make sense because you're not praying with understanding. You are not praying with understanding. It doesn't take you all those struggles to get answers to your prayers. You just need to hope in His mercy. Am I talking to someone here? Praise the living God. Listen, if you turn back or look at any of these doors, they are as big as they are. And these are wonderful doors the Lord bless us with in this meeting. If you close the door and you want to force the door open with your strength, you know how you are going to labor to get that door. But if you have the key, you won't even sweat. 
You put the key in the right position and the door will open on its own accord. What you need is not your legs. What you need is not all your horses that you are prepared for war. Are you getting what I'm talking about? You just need to hope on what? On the mercies of God, which has to do with His grace. If you can't remember anything this morning, remember this one fact. That when Israel left Israel, there was no law. And God provided for them all through their journey. Meaning, they were living on the grace. Amen? And you can compare when they were living on the grace to when they started living on the law. And so, the Bible says, grace, I mean law came by Moses. But grace and truth came by who? Jesus Christ. You just need to trust into Jesus. And then you begin to receive the grace and the message of God for your life. Praise the living God. How do we get this grace of God? Don't forget. The word mercy means goodness, means mercy, means loving kindness. Trust in the goodness of God. Trust in the loving kindness of God. Let your hope rest in the mercy of God. Praise the living God. Amen? Now, sometimes you can go back to that prayer, those two men prayed, and one of them said, Be merciful to me, O my Lord. Remember that? The other man said, I fast three days, I give alms to the poor, I take care of the orphans. And the other man just simply said, God, be merciful to me. Can you see what I'm talking about? Can I get your grace? The other man said, I'm a religious man. I know what to do to please you. I fast seven times in the week. I even wash my hands before I eat. I'm keeping all the laws. Father, you should be able to know how righteous I am. And the other man said, can I just find grace in that sight? Can I have your mercy? Have mercy on me. Let me receive your loving kindness. Let me receive your mercy. Let me receive your grace. Let me walk without sweat. I can't labor like this man religiously. Let me just live by what you have provided. Now you can understand the dimension of the answer God gave. Who did God answer? The Bible said the one that asked for mercy received the attentions of God. Amen. Because already God has said he is not interested in the sacrifices. Did he say so? Okay, say go and find out what it meaneth. And we have mercy and not what? Sacrifice. And the man said, can I have mercy, Lord? Praise the living God. Are we still together here? How can we find grace in the sight of God? Second Peter 1. Second Peter 1. Praise the living God. We have had enough struggles. We have had enough. Listen. God is ready in no ways to make grace available. In fact, grace is available. We only need to receive Him. Grace is found in Christ. We only need to receive Christ. Now, look at this. Are we in the book of Second Peter? I'm reading verse number 2. Grace and peace be multiplied Unto you, through what? The knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Amen? Grace and what? Peace. Be multiplied. No, not be added. Be multiplied. Not just be given. 
be multiplied. Because already it is made available. But now when you receive the right knowledge about grace, it is multiplied unto you. Praise the living God. Grace and peace. How many of you want peace in this house? Hallelujah. So you see, you don't struggle to get peace. You only need to know Jesus Christ and know God and you have peace. That passes all understanding. Grace and peace. Peace in your home. Peace in your business. Peace in your personal life. The Bible says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Excuse me. Hallelujah. I, I would like to look at that word knowledge. The word knowledge is not just like you know somebody walking on the streets. Knowledge is the Greek word epignosis. Epignosis means a recognition. That means you come to the place of recognizing what grace can do. You come to the place of recognizing how powerful God is. You come to the place of accurate understanding of what God has determined to do for your life. Epignosis. Hallelujah. That means you can come to this place in life and you can be rest assured that God is from my side. And if God be for me, who can be against us? You can come to recognition. He said, when you come to that understanding, the next thing that will flow into your life is what? Grace and peace. And don't forget what grace does. It provides for your healing. Provides for your health. Provides for that which is lacking in your life. He just keeps providing. Whatever things you don't seem to have, grace is available to do what? To provide for it. Praise the Lord. But you must come to the epignostic knowledge of God. You must come to that recognition, that personal full desirement, that acknowledgement, that knowing beyond mere words. Hallelujah. That knowing beyond mere description that somebody can give to you. I'm not talking of somebody painting a picture of Jesus for you. It has to be a personal experience knowing that Christ died for me. I mean, have you come to that conclusion? Let me give you a personal story. I gave you a story some time ago. When I was born again, when I came into the Lord, when He found me, better language, when the Lord found me, you know, I have an inquisitive mind, and I'm not sure it's wrong. I think God gave that to me. And, uh, you know, we keep preaching and talking and that. But I was wondering. Now, I wasn't there when Jesus died. I was not a Jew any day. None of my parents were Jewish people. Is it really true that somebody died 2,000 years ago? That was always in my mind. Anywhere we go, no matter how long we're going to preach, whatever, that question keeps coming to my mind. Are you sure there was a man that really died 2,000 years ago? And for your sake, are you sure? So no matter what preaching that are going on, ah yes, praise the Lord, I believe, but is it true? And one day I was, in the afternoon, I was just lying down, I was just thinking and meditating. Some of you don't meditate. A lot of your brother here that tells me, say, Pastor, I meditate a lot, and I like that. I was just meditating on my room. I was lying down, then I was teaching. I just came from school, refreshed up, and I said, let me just meditate. So I was just lying down, just thinking, looking at the ceiling. The next thing I find myself in a trance. 
And here was this man that was being beaten seriously, beaten all over through very bad areas, swamps and all of that, hills, heavy beating, still whipping on him. And this man will be crying that the next thing I see, he was carrying a very mighty cross and the two picture was going on. Now anytime they hit the man, I will feel pain on my body. Anytime they flog him, I will feel the pain. Now I started crying and the man was also crying. And the next thing, an elderly lady came to me and said, listen, instead of you doubting, you should help him carry that cross. He died for you. I woke up, discovered that the whole of my pillow was completely soaked. And knelt and said, sorry Jesus, now I believe you died for me. It's personal experience. So you can't take it from me. I wasn't there when he died, but I believe he died. Are you getting what I'm talking about? You must come to have this personal encounter. You see what Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians? He said, have I not seen Jesus now, he never saw Jesus in the physical. He never slapped Jesus one day. But he said, have I not seen Jesus? Why do you think Paul would do all that he did? Because Christ appeared to him. That's an epignostic knowledge. You must go beyond just the mere written down words or something like that. And that is why you can trust him absolutely for your life. That is why you can believe him. That is why. He said, you must come to the place where God will personally have to reveal himself to you in a greater dimension. But what am I saying this morning? The grace of God is available for your salvation. The next word is told us there is grace and peace will multiply. I've already told you what grace is. Have I not? Now, what about peace? The word peace sounds a very beautiful word. Irene, just like some lady's name. Amen? It means prosperity. The word peace means what? Prosperity. It means one. Peace, quietness, rest. To set one again. To set one again. To set at one again. Listen. Prosperity, rest, peace, quietness. To set at one again. That means something to me. You were disorganized by reason of the fall of Adam. Now God needs to set you as one person again. Spirit, soul, and body. Are you getting that? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. So what are you saying? Not just the provision, but may prosperity be multiplied unto you. By implication, I don't expect you to just be rich. You have to be rich. Come on. Did anybody understand what I said there? A man who is rich had more than enough to help those around him. Prosperity will come through grace. He wants you to be rich and not just rich. He really wants you to be rich. So when you say you're a rich man, it means you are more than enough to help those who are in need. That's a rich man. Praise the living God. You can't be struggling to pay your bills and you say you're rich. You can't be struggling to just put one or two things together and people around you who have needs and you can't meet their needs. No, no, no. I'm saying the kind of riches God wants his people to have is the type that they do not just have to be rich, they have to be rich. Because there are people who are always going to be around. The Bible says the poor are always amongst you. Did the Bible say so? Why is it saying that? Because it finds that the ones that are rich, we have to help the poor. They, that they also become rich. Peace, irene in the Greek, means prosperity. I want to repeat. 
It means quietness. Do we have quietness in our homes? Do we really have quietness in our minds? You see, David say he restored my soul. What does that mean? It means his soul was in trouble. It means he was in confusion. But God came and restored his soul. That is quietness and peace and assurance forever. God wants you to live a quiet and a peaceable life. God wants you to smile all the time. God wants you to be happy all the time. God wants people to see, why are you so happy? All the days of your life because I have the grace of God on my side. I have the peace of God that passes all understanding. No matter how rough and tough situations are, there is this peace that God will give to you that you can still be very stable in the midst of confusion. Am I talking to someone here? When people are mad, you are still quiet. People will be wondering, why are you so quiet? When people are mad, there is this peace of God that it gives to you. That you can also get through the knowledge of who? Of God. Knowing that the grace and the peace of God is already what? Available. What I'm sharing with you cannot be taken away from you. No devil can take the peace of God from your life. Said that in the book of John chapter 6. He said the peace that I will give unto you. No man shall be able to take it away from you. Did he say so? God's peace cannot be taken away from you. That's what I'm talking about. If money gives you peace, it can be taken away when money is gone. Remember that? But this is the peace of God. The apostle Lord understand it. And the Bible says grace and peace they multiply to you. Through what? The knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.